Listener Production. Hey there, Bencion Siebert here with you for today's afternoon edition of The Briefing. Do you remember magazines? Magazines were predicted to fade away as the internet smashed the physical business model, and a lot of magazines have done just that. But some have managed to survive, and others are thriving. According to figures from Roy Morgan, magazine publishing has enjoyed a monthly readership of 5.9 million across titles in the 12 months to June last year. That's up 10% year on year. Titles like The Australian Women's Weekly, New Idea, Harper's Bazaar, and even Elle are making a comeback, but not necessarily in the way that they were traditionally viewed and used. The briefing's Antoinette Latouf sat down with literature and digital media expert Dr Julian Novitz from Swinburne University to unpack how magazines have been resuscitated. Dr Novitz, thanks for joining us on The Briefing. And before we flick through the revival of glossy mags, when was the last time you bought a magazine? Uh, yeah, well, I have a subscription to The New Yorker, so I get a magazine in the mail every every week or couple of weeks. But yes, a lot of my magazine subscriptions are for their online-only version now, and I probably haven't bought a new magazine from a newsstand in several years. But there is a resurgence. That's what the figures show. What's driving the resurgence in magazines? Well, the figures show that magazine sales in Australia are up by 4.1% this past year. And given that the sector was expected to decline due to the rise of digital media, this is this is relatively significant. Mm. So in terms of what's driving a return to magazine sales or a revival of the magazine sector, a lot of experts are attributing this to some of the digital fatigue that was experienced during the COVID lockdowns, where people were so sick of being on their screens all the time. There's been a bit of a pivot back to print media across the board. So the publishing sector as a whole got a bit of a shot in the arm due to the COVID years. And it seems like magazine sales have risen as well. And what do we know about the age of people who are returning to magazines? Because I think it's fair to say that some people instinctively think of printers uh, being almost exclusively for older people. But is there any evidence to suggest that it is rising in popularity across a broader age group? There has been some thought that the analogue tendencies of of Generation Z have been driving the revival of print magazines. And that's perhaps true for some of the newer titles that are emerging that are on more specialised subjects and have higher quality production values. However, if we look at the sales figures in Australia for magazines that are actually growing their market, and just about every category of magazine has in the past year grown its market, quite interestingly, but the highest sales are from quite familiar old titles. So Women's Weekly, uh, Better Homes and Gardens, and even the venerable National Geographic has grown its market by grown print sales anyway, by quite a remarkable 20% in this past year. So perhaps it's more likely that it's older generations of readers who are rediscovering magazines rather than a strong push to new readers who are driving magazine sales. And while you've mentioned um, increasing popularity amongst some legacy titles, you also write in your article in The Conversation that magazines have become a coveted luxury item. Is that for some of those more niche magazines or is it a coveted luxury item to even have better homes and gardens? 
Yes, it, perhaps it is given the, the rising costs of magazines and the rising costs of print media. I mean, what magazine experts have been observing about newer titles that have been launching is that they tend to have a much uh, slower production schedule or publication schedule. So they're no longer being published predominantly in a weekly format and they're no longer being produced with quite cheap production values. So there's this move away from thinking about magazines as cheap disposable media that we read for up-to-date information and discard because obviously digital media and online websites and magazines can provide that immediate up-to-date information much better but towards thinking about them as luxury products that are produced on a slower schedule. So we're seeing a move towards for new magazines in a way to quarterly or even biannual production and publication schedules and a general trend towards higher quality production. So printed on better paper, better layout, better visuals and and so forth. This is also corresponded with a bit of a return to a focus on print media in advertising markets as online ads have become very, uh, I suppose, now perceived as being very annoying, very disruptive, mm. and audiences are quite savvy to how they're being manipulated or algorithmically manipulated by online advertising. But print media, stats show that print media um, and print advertising gets more attention from from readers. They're more likely to be convinced or swayed by uh, a print advertisement and more likely to give it consideration or time when when reading a magazine. And that's in some ways contributed to the uh, the better production costs uh, values of, of new magazine titles. Yeah, that's interesting because sometimes when I'm scrolling something online and the advertisement is like in the way of what I'm reading, I get really annoyed. Yes. You get annoyed and frustrated that it's in the way and you've got to kind of scroll up and down, you turn your phone to the side. So is it this understanding that in magazines, advertising is part of the product, but probably in a more aesthetically pleasing way? Yes, yes. And um, I suppose a big part of the pleasures of magazines that, that can't necessarily be reproduced online is the aesthetics of the magazine title. It's the, the layout, mm. the the texture of the paper, the sensation of flicking through it or browsing through it. And I suppose advertising in print magazines um, is more valuable in a lot of ways because it's integrated with that overall aesthetic. It isn't just disruptive or annoying, but it's it's part of the, the magazine experience. And so picking up on your point of magazines having higher kind of production values, thicker paper coming out less frequently, does that mean sort of the gossip mag end of town is still in trouble Um, for a couple of reasons? You know, celebs have direct access to audiences on Instagram and other social platforms. And also these magazines become very dated very quickly. You would think that, but but interestingly, as I've noted, that that traditional gossip magazine market is also still growing. So the entertainment magazine sector has seen has seen growth alongside all other categories. So people are still buying those particular magazines, though I do suspect that's probably an older demographic who are going to magazine titles for celebrity gossip and uh, topics like that. I think some of our reading habits become quite ingrained. We become quite comfortable with what we're familiar with. So that's that's probably, a, as I mentioned before, it might be an older demographic of readers who are driving the, the, the growth in those titles at the moment as they return to print media and print magazines as a stronger component of their reading and media diet post-COVID. 
Let's talk about the lipstick effect because there is that economic theory that traces back to the Great Depression in the 30s where people splash out on little luxuries rather than big ticket items during an economic downturn. Do you think that's something we may be seeing given um, the cost of living crisis? That is possible, yes. That could be a good explanation that, that people are slipping a magazine title into the shopping or picking it up from a newsstand occasionally. It might be seen as a, as a small treat or a small luxury that, that becomes more affordable and more reachable in a, in a cost of living crisis. And you've also written, we absorb information differently from the page than from the screen, perhaps in a less frantic and distractible way. Can you talk us through that thinking? I think that's that's part of the appeal of print media generally that's been rediscovered during the COVID lockdowns and the post-COVID period. As I mentioned before, there's been a bit of a pivot back to, to print media in Australia and, and globally as well. People are both during the lockdowns and post the lockdowns reading more print uh, media titles, books, and magazines. And I think part of that is the uh, a, a, a sort of a rediscovery of the pleasure of being able to focus entirely in kind of a reflective way on a print text. When we read a magazine, for example, we read a magazine article, we have a sense of the magazine as being finite. We're able to flick through it, we're able to identify all the articles that we're interested in, and then read it in a concentrated, more systematic way. When we read online, we're often reading for immediate gratification or immediate information, the answer to our question, the latest moment of distraction, and therefore it's much easier to click away. We're often reading on a page with hundreds of other options, either immediately displayed to us or available to us at any given moment. It's harder mm. to concentrate and focus on a single article or a single reading experience. We might have multiple windows open. We might be jumping between reading from a media site and reading social media or email and I suppose print media and magazines and as an, as an example of that take us out of that particular frantic and distractible space in online reading and give us space to concentrate and space to detach ourselves from other concerns. You've mentioned a couple of titles that have been around for a while and some are making a comeback. I believe Elle magazine is making a comeback. Do you think this is an opportunity for new magazines to enter the market or it's more about, you know, preserving what has been there or perhaps re repurposing and, and, and repackaging um, magazines that are available? Well, in Australia, the magazine market is much smaller and I think tighter than, than other localities. So we've not seen a huge range of traditional kind of glossy magazine titles, new magazine titles launching in Australia recently. Internationally, it's a bit of a different picture. In the United States, for example, there were 122 new magazine titles launching in the last year, which is impressive for a sector that's supposed to be dying. Mm. So it is difficult to say. I think magazine the magazine market and new titles, as I've mentioned before, are moving to slower production schedules and are targeting niche audiences. They're not necessarily aiming for uh, a mass market appeal or very, very large distributions and circulations in the ways that magazines did back in their heyday of the late 20th century. So to, to answer your question in kind of a roundabout way, I think roundabout, uh, legacy titles are holding on to their, their audiences and even growing them. Um, but whether that trend will continue to new generations of readers is, is difficult to see. And 
um, newer magazines that are emerging have a different marketing and distribution strategy. They're they're narrow casting essentially. They're targeting a small invested pool of readers and publishing on a schedule and with a production run that is going to aim at sustaining that audience rather than kind of aiming for exponential growth. That was Dr. Julian Novitz, a literature and digital media expert from Swinburne University, speaking with Antoinette Latouf. And listen in tomorrow when Antoinette is back with the weekend briefing. Antoinette, what have you got for us? This weekend, we've got Loz from Triple M Brekkie in Adelaide. It is a hilarious chat. We learn a lot about what it's like to work in breakfast radio and also what it's like as a woman in a pretty blokey program, in a pretty blokey environment. Lots of hilarious anecdotes, amazing insights, plenty of laughs, and it's all got something to do with a bloke called Steve and his balls. We've actually got more balls-related content on the briefing early next week, so check your feed from 6am Monday, and I'll be back with more every afternoon from 3. My name's Ben Sion Siebert. Thanks for joining me. Listener.